You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical antidotes for the modern man. With your host, Alan Aguirre. A Faceless Gen production. forsake, give up, leave, homes, land, wives, family, children, jobs, careers, unless you do those type of things, you have no part of me. What do you think he was talking about? Well, they don't preach that a lot. We probably don't really consider those things because not a lot of people don't talk about that stuff. It's not, it's, it's uncomfortable. And so because it's uncomfortable, we're not going to really talk about it. So, nobody, so everyone's anemic when it comes to sacrificing their lives for the gospel. You know that term, first world problems? Yeah. Because see, my question is, what have we done, what do we do to endanger ourselves in our society, in our sphere of influence when it comes to the, the gospel? <laughs> Nothing. We complain a lot. Did you know that murmuring, mumbling, and complaining was one of the reasons why Israel was wiped out in the desert? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's in there. They complained about their scenario. And that was why, one of the reasons why they were killed and why they didn't walk into the promised land. As Americans and as Christians, this country, I've, I've had the pleasure of traveling all over this country. It's an amazing country. I love this country. It is awesome, this country. It's fat, it's healthy, it's prosperous, it's all those things. But for one reason, God's blessing. Scripturally, nations thrive because of God's blessing. Scripturally, nations are decimated because of God's judgment. And we have had far too long of a prosperous time here in this country that we, we don't even know. We have no idea what we're doing, especially when it comes to the things of the Lord, as far as taking up our cross daily, neglecting ourselves, sacrificing, doing the gospel, doing the things Scripture actually speaks of. I mean, I can go to the mall... I can go down to Salt Lake City, go into the mall, and start preaching Jesus. The worst thing that will probably happen is I'll, get asked, I'll be escorted out by security. And maybe some guy will, you know, say something nasty to me. Ooh, what an inconvenience. And people call that persecution. <laughs> Let me tell you about persecution. This guy 
coming home and finding his children dead because he's pursuing the ways of Jesus in a Muslim country, in an Islamic country, that's persecution. Our friend Samer, that guy has, has experienced persecution. He's a Palestinian. He was ra- born and raised in a Palestinian camp in Lebanon. Basically raised bread to be a terrorist. He's on his way to go bomb something when a church, right? A Christian church. And God stopped him. His dad is a leader of Hamas. His dad's a Hamas leader. We know this guy personally. If you look at he carries a picture of himself before he got saved. And he's absolutely demonic looking in that picture. And, he's just, and he does this. Before Jesus, after Jesus. You know? This guy's been beat. His family has had put out hits on him. And what else? I mean, just you name it. Put in holes, left for dead. Um, because he'll walk into a mosque and in his, with his Arabic Bible, will go in there and preach Jesus and pro-Israel. That's persecution. Five years ago, we were in Israel and around um, Purim, uh, a Puerto Rican man who's married to a New York Jew and their 15-year-old son live in a little town called Arial. It's in the West Bank. And um, so during Purim, it's custom to um, give each other gifts. So when this 15-year-old boy, Avi, came home, uh, there was a gift on the porch. So he took it inside his house, put it on the kitchen table, opened it up, and he went flying through the room into the refrigerator and basically should have died. It was, there was a bomb inside the, the package. They were targeting Messianic Jews. There was two trigger things in the bomb. And it was, and in fact, only a week ago was the American Jew that did this finally given two life sentences in 30 years because they you know he had he had been doing other things as far as terrorist acts in Israel this kid should have died the bomb was they they have a like a two story apartment on the second level they have two of them one they live in and one they have a home church in and they're <coughs> preaching Jesus to native israelis and the arabs in the area well, that's not good. You can't proselytize. So anyway, there was a flyer distributed from Tel Aviv to Arial with their home address, with their photos, and the little, you know, the elders and the home church group leaders with their names and addresses and basically calling for a hit on these people because it was like, uh, beware, citizens of Arial, there are, there are imposters impersonating as Jews in your town and kill them. That's a little concerning because there's no type of Taliban type of thing going on in Israel, is there? Extreme orthodoxy. See how I'm doing this and not doing this? Yeah. And so this kid gets blown to bad. (laughs) Filtering through my vocabulary. And, And they're concerned because it would set a precedence. What's going to happen with this case? And that could endanger more messianics because you have to remember there is an extreme orthodox group, the, the, the Haradim, uh, that are very violent. They have modesty police and they, you know, they, do, they do you know crazy things. But anyway, long story short, I, we went to the home of this family the day he came home from the hospital and I got to hear this this poor man tell this tale of 
them doing the Lord's work in Israel and how their child got blown to bits because of it. That was really hard for me. Because, yeah, he was, I mean, because it was a child that was attacked, that really was not good. So that, they got a lot of help for that. The best doctors, um, the best care, all these good, all these things. People did it for free. So he miraculously was healed. I mean, it was crazy. The story, you can go look it up. It's, 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 in the, it's, in the, it's all over the place. It's not a hidden secret thing. As of a week or so ago, this guy that did this was finally sentenced. But, I mean, there's a lot of crazy government-type stuff going on there and in our country regarding this. And, um, and I, you know, this, it was upsetting to me because, well, when we left the house, the blast was so bad it blew out car windows, you know, down the street. I mean, it was a big blast. And um, our tour guide asked me, are, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. And he goes, well, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm, I'm mad. You know, I get to go home and complain about the price of gas. And these guys are getting blown up for preaching Jesus. We don't have any problems here. And because of that, we, law, or we have lost, seemingly, because there are little remnants. He's always true to keep a remnant, like Lenny said. There was more healings, there was more miracles, there was more deliverance, there was more supernatural stuff. And it's true. I mean, I, we, we have to deal with people that have compromised the, the, the message so extremely that there's no way God looks the way I present God. Because Jesus is all loving. You know, it's just, it's just weird. It's all fluff. There's no danger. There's no risk. There's no challenge. We don't have to give much up to be a Christian in this country. Well, you know, that's going to change. We've been saying that for years. It's going to change. It has to change. And the majority of us, 80%, are going to go to the state-sponsored church instead of risking jail time for coming over to our little place in Heber for a Bible study or whatever. This is really going to happen. We're going to look at some, some things that kind of touch on this. Because, well, you'll see. We've been talking about from Passover to Pentecost. I don't have a PowerPoint because this is going to be really easy. So if you have your Bibles... You can read along, or you can just listen. And I, and I forgot to tell you guys this, but if you have a question or a concern or whatever, you are free to raise your hand and interrupt me while I do this. None of this Greco mentality where I'm up here talking at you. Ah, it doesn't fly with me. So if you need to stop me in the middle of something because of you're not understanding something, please, you have the freedom to do so. Please do. So we've been talking about Passover to Pentecost and how... The importance, the extreme importance of Jesus not only being aligned with the Torah, the law, the law of Moses. Law, the word law is a really bad negative connotation for the word Torah. Torah means the teaching of Moses, not the law. See, there's a negative connotation there for a reason. So I don't like using the word law because it's not a good word. It means teaching. Big difference. So we've been talking about how Jesus had to, in every aspect and in every way, shape, or form, align himself with the teaching of Moses. And that bothers a lot of people. God is very particular. He's very methodical in what he does and how he does things. Do you know that? I mean, it's not just random. It's not just random. I mean, there is an absolute methodology in everything 
that he's presented to us. Cain and Abel. What happened there? One sacrifice was, was, that was offered was accepted. The other sacrifice that was offered wasn't accepted. Well, who taught them to give sacrifices? How did they know to sacrifice to the Lord? Well, obviously, they learned it from their father. And he learned it from his father. See, this is a new concept. This has been going on since the very beginning. That's something we have never been really exposed to. That the, this life has been going on since the very beginning. From the garden. At, you know, Cain and Abel are sacrificing. One's acceptable, one's not. You know? And there's methodolo- his methodology. It's not like, oh, this Adam thing didn't work out. Ah, darn. Shucks. Have to come up with a new plan. I mean, most of the people I talk to give answers or excuses for why we don't have to do a lot of the Bible. Uh, they use answers like that. Well, God, cha- God, God knew that, or God changed. Back then, they didn't have refrigeration. That's why pork was bad. That is a valid argument for the other team. They didn't have refrigeration, and they didn't know science or, you know, whatever. They didn't have Gordon Ramsay to really tell us how to do it. So that's why they couldn't eat pork back then. But now we can because we've got refrigeration. Because my God is that freaking stupid. I mean, isn't that just like the stupidest argument you can ever come up with? Refrigeration? Because God is what? Limited, not that smart, didn't know that we would come up with electricity and refrigeration. Did you know there, and there are ancient texts that speak of space travel and nuclear stuff? I mean, we are not very modern people. This has happened before. We, we have jet airplanes, metal tubes being propelled through the sky. What about round balls, silver balls that hummed and didn't make any sound that did better travel? I mean, refrigeration. So, you know, God, being so dumb, oh, this Adam and Eve thing didn't work out, I'm going to have to change techniques, and I'm going to just, I'm gonna have to change it up. Plan two, you know, or plan B. And then, you know, those darn watchers, and, uh, you know, and the Nephilim and stuff, and Adam, and, you know, now we're going to have to drown everybody because they're not cooperating and, with Noah. Well, how did Noah, did you know Noah brought seven kinds of, or seven of clean animals and only two of unclean animals? We're not taught that. We're told that Noah brought a pair of every animal onto the ark. That's not what the Bible says. He brought a pair of unclean animals onto the ark and then seven of clean onto the ark. But we're not told that. Why? Well, because they're going to have to eat. And unclean animals are not considered food to God. They are to man. But see, who taught Noah that? How did Noah know this? Well, because it goes back to the very beginning. He learned it, right? He was the seventh patri- eighth, ninth patriarch, I believe. He learned it from his father and then his father, and you know, that's uh, Enoch and Lamech and Enoch and blah, 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 blah. Seth to Adam. This is what they learned. They learned how to walk in the ways of the Lord. So it's not like a new thing. So it's like, oh, this, this, this didn't work again, so now I've got to come up with plan. Where are we? Plan C now? You know? And then it didn't work, so now we've got to do Abraham. That's plan D. Oh, uh, Moses. Oh, that's plan E. And then finally, oh, I finally figured it out. Jesus. 
I finally figured it out. Now this should work. Where, where are we? F? EFG somewhere? Plan EFG? This is how the majority of them out there think regarding these things. I know this is true. Go to my Facebook. <laughs> You'll see it's all there in all its glory. This is practical reasoning. They're deluded in their minds. They can't con- conceive of the ways of the Lord, so they come up with these insane concepts on why God is so stupid and how we're so smart now and he finally figured out that we should get this Jesus thing in the picture and now that we have Jesus we don't need any of that stuff because it was all flawed and no good because God is stupid well how could that be true wasn't Jesus the lamb slain from the foundations of the world well doesn't that tell us something this was already this already happened this all already happened. Because see, I'm seated in, high, in heavenly places. But I'm also standing in Park City. At the same time. Ooh. Jesus had to align himself. He had to be completely in the process of the, metho- of the methodology that God had established from before the foundations of the earth. Which means he had to align himself detailed by detail regarding Torah and the prophets. So, Passover. He had to be the Passover lamb that we already knew about, that had already happened. He couldn't deviate from that. He had to be, um, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he had to be in the ground. He had to rise for Feast of First Fruits. And then all the stuff we've been reading, uh, studying about the last couple, two or three weeks, about what was Jesus doing down during the Omer count, during the counting of the Omer. And in the same way, what, is, what does Paul say in Romans 10, 4? For the goal of which the Torah aims is the Messiah, who offers righteousness to everyone who trusts. It was all pointing to this. It's not a mistake. It's not, oh, plan B, plan C, you know, like he's... No. This was all done on purpose. Very purposeful. And the prophets. He had to align himself with what, what the prophets said. He had to be born of a virgin. You know, this and that. And I mean, we all, right? Well, the prophets don't just end with Jesus. We know that the prophets speak of our tomorrow. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, My, uh, Mike, uh, Micah, Malachi. I mean, these people talk about what's happening for our tomorrow. And, it's all, and it all has to be based, in order for it to be true and real, it all has to be based on the order God established. And Moses is the marker. Not that it didn't happen before. We know it happened before. We, I, we, I just gave you some examples. There are obviously food laws because of the ark, and Adam, uh, Cain and Abel are sacrificing. Okay, so Moses is a marker. Why Moses? Well, what was all that about? Creating a nation unto himself. Creating a people unto himself. Right? To counter what was on the earth. A demonic strain of humanity. And they lived in the land of Canaan. Pre and post flood. So, he creates speeches unto himself. I will be your God. You will be my people. A nation of what? Kings and priests. To usher in Messiah for the rest of us. And that was established, that, like that, that whole nation concept, well, of course, with Abraham, but it was like, boom, okay, now it's here, Moses leaving Egypt, the Exodus, 
Do you know why this whole, this whole exodus thing is such an issue and they have to lie about it and change everything? Because it's all about land rights. Because if there was an exodus from Egypt through Moses to the promised land for the, for the taking over of, of Canaan, we can't allow a nation called Israel to have rights and claims to this land. Because that just throws everything. Because if that's true, well then all the rest of it has to be true. We're not comfortable with that. Even as Christians. Here's some references regarding the, the importance of Jesus align, being aligned with the Father and what he had already established long ago in order for Jesus to be Jesus and for this to even work. And you know what's crazy? Really? You believe in some guy that died and then rose from the dead over you shouldn't eat pork? How insane is it that you believe in a zombie? Isn't that a little bit more, isn't that a little bit more far-fetched than keeping the commandments? No? Did you understand what I mean by that? How more far-fetched is us believing in someone that rot was raised from the dead? That's, that's ridiculous. Versus obeying commandments. See, it's, it's a convoluted goofiness. But anyway, here's some scriptures. Matthew 23, verses 2 and 4. The Torah teachers and the Pharisees, Jesus said, sit in the seat of Moses. So whatever they tell you, take care to do it, to observe it. But don't do what they do, because they talk, but they don't do. They, they tie heavy loads or bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. Remember that in Acts 15? Let's not put a burden on the Gentiles. Unto people's shoulders, but won't lift a finger to help carry them. Why would Jesus, the Son of God, whose every knee is going to bow and confess that He is Adonai, Lord of all, right? Why would He say, these guys sit in the seat of Moses. They sit in the authority of Moses. Do what they tell you to do. Why? Well, Because that's God's order of things. He established a, a, an order. Regarding a question on divorce, they're trying to test him. They're trying to trick him. What about divorce? Is it lawful for a man to divorce a woman? That's the question. And what does Jesus say? What did Moses command you? He's deferring to Moses. This is Jesus. Son of God. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. The blind can see. The deaf can hear. He's walking on water. He's multiplying food. He's doing all this crazy stuff. And when brought a question, what does he say? Well, what did Moses tell you to do? Why? That's the standard. That's the plumb line. Jesus said that. That was in Mark 10.3. He also says this, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Luke 16.17. Do you know why? He says that? Do you know why he says heaven and earth? It's easier for them to disappear than the Torah? No? Because when Joshua, they swore, Joshua and Moses, when they made their covenant with the four and by the people, on behalf of the people with the Lord, they swore on heaven and earth that we are going to obey this thing and do this thing. 
See, so the witness against mankind regarding keeping the commandments of God are heaven and earth. That's why Jesus said, until heaven and earth pass away, not a single jot or tittle in Matthew 5. Why? He's going back to the covenant that was made in Sinai and, and, and reestablished with Joshua. They swore against heaven and earth. They put half the people on one mountain, half the people on the other. You know, here's the blessing. You do this, here's the blessing. And he didn't say, and if you don't do it, no. He says, and when you don't do this, here's the curses that are going to befall you. And they befell Israel. Heaven and earth are the witnesses against man regarding obeying his commandments. And Jesus says it's easier for them to go away than for the tittle of the law to fail. And everybody know what Abraham's bosom is? I, 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 I'm sorry, my mind reading skills are a little low tonight. If, is, is that a yes? Raise your hand. No? Okay. Abraham's bosom. There's a parable about a guy named, a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. And they both die and one goes to Abraham's bosom, which is kind of like a holding tank, apparently, pre-Jesus, which would be considered heaven. I'm not even going to go there. And then this bad guy goes to hell. But it's like a chasm. There's like a chasm and one's over here in torment and the other one's over here hanging out with Abraham, right? Okay. It's in the Gospels. It's in Luke 16. So it's talking about how one's there and one's, you know, because one guy was a poor guy, the other guy was rich, but wasn't a, wasn't a nice guy. And so they're like, oh, you know, give me, Abraham, the, 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 the rich guy, give me some water, you know, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, in, you know, I'm, I'm in hell. <laughs> uh, give me some water. And he's like, I, I can't reach you, you know, I'm sorry, you know, can't help you, Abraham says. Let's, you know, let's go up and we've got to warn my, my family. We've got to send somebody. We've got to go warn my family. We've got to warn people that there's this thing actually happening, this, that this is really happening. Abraham's like, hey, it's cool. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. The bad guy says, no, Father Abraham. They need more. If someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. Right? If someone from the dead goes up, hey, this is real. There's like a real bad place down here we're going to call hell. And then there's this really good thing over here called heaven. This is real. Don't blow it. And Abraham says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is Jesus speaking. Abraham is saying, no, they'll be fine. They have Moses and the prophets. They need to, if they listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll be good to go. No, 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 no. Somebody has to go up there from the dead to warn them. And he goes, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to someone that rises from the dead. Do you see this foundation that Jesus is laying? Philip found Nathan and told him, that was Luke 16. Philip found Nathan and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the Torah, also the prophets. It's Yeshua, Ben Joseph, from Nazareth. It's Jesus of Nazareth. The one Moses spoke about and the prophets spoke about. John 1.45 Why would... How would they know? What's the telltale sign that this... Oh, well, they read, the, they read Moses. They read the prophets. Some of them... We're like, uh, hey, this is adding up. Look, we found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. That's John 1.45. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 3.14. 
What? Jesus is going to do something that Moses did? Acts 2. Jesus is a prophet unto Moses. Revelation. It's the song of Moses that sang in the throne room. There's something up with this Moses guy, isn't there? <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's like, you know, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre to me. That was John 3. Okay, John 5. The healing of the pool of Bethsaida. All right, I've been, we've been to the pool of Bethsaida. It's really weird because you can see this. You're on the steps that would be on the steps around the pool, and you step down and you can see where the pool actually was. What's that? Oh, it's a fence with bushes. And the rest of the pool, like 80-90% of the pool, is in somebody's backyard and it's owned by an Arab and a Palestinian. He won't sell it and give it up back to Israel. So we're stuck with this little sliver of this pool, this pool. So anyway, so there's a guy, he's, he's, he's lame, and uh, an angel stirs up the water, is the, 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 the going tell, and when the water's stirred, the first one that can get in there, you know, you know it's, like, it's like shouting, shot, shotgun, you know. If they can get into the water, they'll be healed, but this guy's like jacked up, he can't get into the water, and no one is helping him into the water. So he's been sitting there for who knows how long, hoping for a miracle. Hoping that somehow he'll get into the water when the angel stirs it up so he can get healed. Well, John chapter 5, that's what's going on. So Jesus heals him, tells him, stand up, take your bed, go, you're good to go. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, those pesky Jews, the Jews therefore said to him, to the one that was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Let's just forget about the fact that the guy was crippled yesterday, uh, 20 minutes ago. We know he was crippled because he's been sitting around here for years. And so have we. We know this guy is crippled. We know he's a crippled guy. And I'm more concerned about the fact that he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath than the fact that he's walking or carrying his bed. That's, I'm not even going to ask. I run into those type of people all the time. I'm surrounded by people like that. You want to talk to me about why I'm carrying my bed on the Sabbath? I'm walking. See the mentality there? It's twisted. It's not right. So who is this man? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing happen come upon you. That doesn't sound very Christian. Did you hear that? You better not do anything else or, or something even worse is going to happen to you. Sin no more. That's not very Christian. That goes against our... That's Jesus. He's telling him, man. He's telling him straight up. You've been healed. Don't sin anymore. The prostitute. Has anybody judged you? No. Go. Sin no more. That's the message. Don't sin anymore. Stop it. Stop it. Don't sin no more. Lest a worse thing come upon you. The man 
what does he do? Departs and goes to the Jews and says, it was Jesus who healed me. What a little sneak, right? That's a little... They tell him, it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Do you see how far removed these guys are from what it is they're supposed to be representing? They're so far removed from it. Now, we're going to have to try and kill this guy because he did this on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, ready? You ready? This is where it gets really juicy. My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered him, answered and said to them, Most assuredly, he's basically saying, you know what? Whether you like it or not, this is reality. And the fact that you don't believe it or don't like it does not make it reality. I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself. That goes against a lot of our theology. But what He sees the Father do, for whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. And He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And I am told over and over and over and over and over and over that Jesus is love. And He doesn't judge. And He loves you. Right where you are. Just the way you are. Even if it conflicts with the text. But God, that's a different matter. He, so you got to watch out for that God. He's mean and he's ornery and he's going to judge you. No. Father doesn't judge, Jesus says. The Father has given all judgment to the Son. People don't like that. They want, believe, they want Bobby Sherman to be Jesus. You know, remember Peace, Love, and Bobby Sherman? They want Jesus to be that kind of Jesus. This tree-hugging hippie type of guy. I don't know. This, you know, he who doesn't judge and doesn't judge me for what I do or how I am, even though it might conflict with the Father. All judgment has been given to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Oh, well, there's, there's why. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. We don't believe that either. There's a huge separation between the Son and the Father in a lot of people's minds. Jesus is saying, if you don't honor me, how you deal with me, you deal with my Father. And we try to explain that to people. We've had to tell people, I know you think we're stupid and that our kids wouldn't come and tell us what you did or said to them when I wasn't there. Why, I don't know. But... You're not understanding that how you treat and, and interact with my children when I'm not in the room reflects on how you feel about me. So if you don't respect me, you're going to treat my kids that way, and now we're going to have a problem. It's the same thing. How you deal and how you treat, and how, whether you honor or respect the son, your deal with the father is happening, according to Jesus. Maybe you can see where I'm going. We don't honor the son at all. 
yet we think we do. And in, de- in doing so, we don't honor the Father. He who does not know, uh, honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I'm not screwing around here. I'm telling you the truth. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. That's what people want to hear. They like that one. Most assuredly, I'm not screwing around. I mean, I'm not messing around. I'm telling you the truth. I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also. I have life in my hands, but I also have judgment. And I will execute it. Because he is the Son of Man. This isn't some patsy. This isn't a floor mat. This is some serious stuff. He's been given all authority by the Father to execute judgment and to give life and to give death. That's what I'm reading here. Do not marvel at this. Okay? Don't be surprised by what I just said. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man. But I can say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. The very works, what he does, what he says, everything that he is, bears witness that the Father has sent him. Now we have a witness for the authority of judgment and the authority of life and the authority of death that he carries. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures For in them you think you have eternal life. You are convinced that Christianity gives you eternal life. See how that, we can say that today. They had the scriptures. They had the religion. And they were convinced throughout all the prophets and the judges. I mean the judges and the prophets. I mean it's in there. That because they were Israel and we have the scriptures and we have the Talmud. And we're going to make sure we don't break the Torah because of the Talmud. Because we, are, we have all this going for us, there's no way we can be in wrong standing with God. <laughs> Why do you think there was prophets? To walk in and say, uh, sorry, that's not true. And now we have Jesus on the scene, and they're saying the same thing, nothing's changed, and Jesus is saying, you search the scriptures, for in them you think... You think you have eternal life. This happened in the desert. God is with us. God is among us. 
Who made Moses judge over us? God is with us and among us. Really? Let's, let's test that. And the ground opened up and ate up Korah and his clan and the other two camps. And then they wiped out 250 Levites with the sword. And then the next morning, these same people who saw all this show up to Moses' tent and said, Yesterday you killed God's people. And Moses is like, Oh, geez. And he falls to the ground yet again. And Aaron runs to do the sacrifice for atonement for these people, which means a lot of steps, and he can't break any, and he can't skip any, and he has to do them methodically for the atonement to work. And when he does, is it 10 or 14,000 that lay dead? Because they thought God was with them. We're good with God, and God is with us. And he wasn't. He just wasn't. You think you have salvation because of the scriptures. And these are they which testify of me. These same scriptures testify of me, Jesus says. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You'd rather have your scriptures and your religion that you think you have that is saving you, and you won't have nothing to do with me. He says that to Christianity all the day long. You have your religion and your theology and your Christianity, but you won't come to me. I do not receive honor from man, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come, that's not very nice. I have come to my fa- in my Father's name, and you, do, and you do not receive me. If another comes in my own name, in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? He's, telling, he's, he's, un, he's tearing it apart. He's breaking it down and saying, you're deceived. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. Do not think that I shall, that, that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I believe that Jesus, what he taught, what he said, his parables, his life, his death, and his resurrection is 100% applicable to my reality right now, right here. And a lot of people don't believe that what Jesus said, what Jesus did, his parables, his teachings, his doctrine, his theology, apply to them. But they'll take all his death and resurrection, by golly. I've been told this by seminary professors that Maybe 10% of what Jesus said in the Gospels applies to Gentiles. Maybe. Because, contextually, he was speaking to the Jews. And so I asked, so then only 10% of his death and resurrection applies to you? Well, no, 100% does. Well, wait a second. You can't have it both ways. It doesn't work that way. And I told him, I'm not a bastard. I'm a full son, co-heir, with all rights and privileges of a son. A hundred percent. 
of his life, his teaching, his theology, his doctrine, his parables, as well as 100% of his death and resurrection. If you want to be a bastard man, knock yourself out. How do you believe my words, he asks, if you don't believe what Moses said? Let me read that again. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, Torah, how will you believe my words? And they couldn't, could they? Because you got to remember, they weren't even doing Moses right. They had perverted that. So of course they didn't get Jesus. They weren't even doing Moses right. How does that apply to us? Well, this is the teaching. This is the doctrine of Jesus. The Torah and the prophets. You can't have all of Jesus and none of that. And I know I'm sounding like a broken record over and over saying the same thing. But there are people among us in this church that don't do this. They didn't do Feast of Unleavened Bread. They didn't purge their house of leaven. They didn't obey the commandments. Come on. I'm not here. I didn't drive all this way and move all these people over here to play church with you guys. I could do that in Dallas. They do it better too. They've got big old mega churches with 20,000 people and TV and it's crazy. It's crazy there. I didn't, we didn't come here to do that. We came here to live life with you guys. Truth. I sound like a broken record because not everybody is believing this. Not everybody buys this. Not everybody has sold out to the reality that we are supposed to be obeying the commandments. This is your Jesus saying, if you don't do Moses, you can't do me. That's how I see it. That's what I just read. This is his doctrine in theology. So how do we veer this far? How do we veer this far, so far away from this reality? Well, tomorrow morning, all over the United States of America, Paul will be preached more than Jesus. Paul will be preached erroneously more than Jesus will be preached tomorrow. Guaranteed on a Sunday. That's how we got here. See, we take what Paul wrote, we look at what Jesus said, and we look at Moses, and we base, and we test that with what Paul wrote. Huh. Shouldn't we be taking the scriptures and Jesus to test Paul? Paul didn't die for me. Paul didn't rise from, Paul didn't even get the book of Revelation. If he's like so super, how come John got it? Paul is taught more on a Sunday morning than Jesus ever is. In churches all over this country. That's how we got here. And they're teaching Paul erroneously. They're teaching Paul is telling you not to listen to Jesus. That's scary. And that's what we are. That's where we are. That's, how, that's, that's what's going on. I'm wrong and they'll and he use Paul to tell me how wrong I am. But Jesus said it. It's scary, interesting. It's terrifying. And we've been doing it for 2,000 years. Yikes. So what does, that, what does that have to do with Passover to Pentecost? Thank you for asking. Luke 24. The tomb is empty. The girls run out there. Whoa. Angels come and talk to them. They go back. They tell the guys. They don't believe them. Peter runs and looks, takes a look. Here's what's going on. In the middle of all this, they were greatly perplexed about the empty tomb. Verse 4 of Luke 24. They were reminded by the angels of what, they had, uh, of what he had said. 
regarding these things in verses 6 and 8, the account of the women sounded like idle tales to the apostles, and they didn't believe the account. Verse 11. That's what we have to work with. They walked with Jesus for three years, and when it's all said and done and the smoke clears, they have no clue what's going on. And we, how do we know this? The last few chapters before he dies, he's pulling his dreads out in his beard, and he's like going, how could I possibly be talking about bread? They didn't get it. They were so clueless. Oh, almost done. My alarm just went off. So, chapter 24. That same day, two of them, of the disciples, were going toward a village about seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. They had just happened. As they talked and discussed, Yeshua himself came up just poof, and walked up along with them. But something kept them from recognizing him. These are disciples. They were probably hanging around. They were probably some of the guys that were fed with the multitudes. I mean, they're disciples. But there was something that kept them from recognizing that it was Jesus. Did you know that Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him when he was in Pharaoh's court? Why? How could they not recognize their, their, their Hebrew brother? Because he looked like a Gentile. That's why the, Israel doesn't recognize Jesus. Because we've dressed him up like a Gentile. So they didn't recognize him. He asked them, what are you talking about with each other as you are walking along? And they stopped short, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only person staying in Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have been going on there in the last few days? What things? I love it. I love it when Jesus plays stupid. Because he's really showing us how stupid we are. He's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, right? The second time they do the feeding, he's like, hmm, what's wrong, Jesus? No. These people look hungry. He, two chapters late, before that, I mean, he sets them up. It's like he's punking them. He punks them. Oh, we don't have the money to feed them. He's just like, oh, geez, we just did this two chapters ago. And I mean, the exact same scenario. How did you fall for this twice? So I love it when he punks us. They said to him, the things about Yeshua from Nazareth. He was a prophet and proved it by the things he did and said before God and all the people. Our head Kohanim, or our, our chief priests and our leaders, handed him over to Rome so that he could be sentenced to death and executed on a stake as a criminal. And we had hoped that he would be the one to liberate Israel. Besides all that, today is the third day since these things happened, and this morning some of the women astounded us. They were at the tomb early and couldn't find his body, so they came back. But they also reported that they had seen a vision of angels who say he's alive. Some of our friends went to the tomb and found it exactly as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. And this is how we know he was punking them by asking them that question. And he said to them, Foolish people, so unwilling to put your trust in everything the prophets spoke. Didn't the Messiah have to die like this before entering his glory? I love it when he sets us up and punks us. I just love it. I mean, there's just, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I think it's cool. And what does he say? Foolish people, so unwilling to put your trust or to believe in everything the prophets spoke. This is post-resurrection Jesus. And he's going back to the beginning and saying, uh, why won't you believe this stuff? 
We just read about how he's telling everybody, Moses, 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 Moses. Plumb line. Standard. That's the standard. And now he's going, you guys are stupid. Why aren't you believing the prophets? Didn't the Messiah have to die like this before entering his glory? Then, starting with Moses and all the prophets, right? What does he do? He goes back. Just like he's done since the whole time he was on earth. Moses. What about adultery? Or fornication or, or divorce? What did Moses tell you? They said, Moses is the authority. Moses, Moses. He goes all the way back, starting with Moses and all the prophets. And he explains to them the things that can be found throughout the Tanakh concerning himself. He goes back, shows them where it's all taught, where, where it's all laid out in the scriptures. Hello? Hello? It's the scriptures. Go to the scriptures. The New Testament is, at best, a commentary of the Scriptures. That doesn't mean don't. That I'm anti-New Testament. You came up with that one. I never said that. I just quoted a whole bunch of New Testament. I'm in the New Testament. So, then starting with Moses and all the prophets, right, he explains all of this stuff to them. They approached this village where they were going. He made as if, as if he were going on further. He's like, he's punking to me. I'm going to keep going. No, 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 come back. Hang out with us. Uh, but they held him back saying, stay with us for it's almost evening and it's getting dark. So he went in t- to stay with them. As he was reclining with them at the table, he took the matzah. Wait, wait. Why, didn't, why wasn't it challah? It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Huh. Post-resurrection and he's submitting to Torah. Huh. Interesting. So he takes the matzah. Jesus takes the matzah. The Torah instruction of the Feast of Unleavened Bread matzah makes the Baruch, the blessing breaks it and hands it to them and then their eyes were, I mean if this is on film, he breaks the bread and it's like Steven Spielberg white light and boom, their eyes are open and they recognize him and he became invisible to them why? why? why does he do that? Right? I mean, they're hanging out. They've walked seven, seven miles. That's about three hours. They're walking. They don't even know it's him. And then he breaks the matzah. It's Jesus. Oh, now he's gone. Why does he do that? I don't know. But he does it all the time. And he does it to them. And he becomes invisible to them. That's like, how does he do that? Like a Klingon cloaking device. But he's still there going. <laughs> right? Probably. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn inside as he spoke to us on the road opening up the Tanakh to us? Oh man, wouldn't that be awesome to sit there and hear Jesus open up the Tanakh? That would be so awesome. They got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. What? They got up and they went back three hour walk. It's not like they're jumping in a car, people. That's a long time. So they go back to Jerusalem. And they go to the guys, right? They go to the house where everybody is with their friends saying, it's true. I mean, these guys are excited. The Lord has risen. Simon saw him. Then the two told what had happened on the road and how he had become known to them in the breaking of the matzah. They were still talking about it when there he was standing among them. He's like kicking back. He's like, startled and terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. They still don't get it. I love it. They still don't get it. They think they're seeing a ghost. But he said to them, Why are you so upset? Why are these doubts welling up inside you? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. 
touch me and see a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you can see I do. As he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they were still unable to believe it for joy and stood there dumbfounded, he said to them, Have you something here to eat? Why? He brings it down. He brings it, right? Practical, tangible. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, which he took and ate in their presence. Then he says to them, This is what I meant when I was still with you and told you that everything written about me in the Torah of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Tanakh. Oh, if our minds would be open so that we could understand the scriptures. It would make this so much easier. We would realize that we are exactly like Israel. That it's literally, the Bible literally has done this. Genesis, Old Testament, and here we are. It's done this. And now we're going backwards do you see what I'm saying? It's the same thing. Nothing's changed. It's the same story. All we have to do is look at Israel to see ourselves. They're a mirror of what we are and what we've done and how we do it. It's insane. So he opens up their minds so they can understand the Tanakh, telling them, here's what it says, the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and his name, repentance, leading to forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to people from all nations, starting with Jerusalem. And if you jump to Matthew's account, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey and observe everything that I have commanded you. And we have not done that. For 2,000 years, We've thrown that little piece out. What did Jesus teach them and commanded them to observe and obey? I just read you a whole bunch of, more than three scriptures in context. That's why this took so long. Because I could have just taken those little pieces out and gone, Moses, Moses. But I wanted to put it in full context, which our, which our opposing team can't do. I wanted to put it in full context of what Jesus is doing, what he's saying, and how he's referring and deferring to the authority of Moses as the foundation of his teaching and his doctrine. And we are supposed to go make disciples of nations, teaching them everything that he taught us to observe and obey. And that's why we can't make disciples of nations. We don't make disciples of nations. Go make disciples, they say. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. It never says that. Go make disciples of nations. That's different. Well, that's, that's a bit high of a lofty goal. I'm just going to kind of keep it to this over here and pass out these tracks. It's freaking ridiculous. It doesn't work. See, here, that's, that's what I'm trying to explain. That's why I say Christianity is broken. That's why I say this doesn't work. Because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not supposed to work. When you deviate from his established methodology, you're not going to get the same results. I talk to many Christians. I talk to thousands of Christians all over the place. Well, can't you hear his voice? I've never heard his voice. Hmm, interesting. He says, my sheep know my voice. Are you saying I'm not saved? No, you did. We don't teach. We, well, first of all, we don't even know what Jesus told us to obey and to observe. Because if we did we would be observing the commandments. Here's an example of the convoluted, and then we'll call it. Jesus never spoke or said a single thing 
against homosexuality, so it's okay. Jesus didn't have to. Moses already did. And he told you to go look at Moses. He also didn't tell you not to throw your kids in the fire for Molech. Are we all rushing off to do that? He also doesn't say anything about electricity or cars. See how ridiculous that argument is? This mentality is in the church now. Yes, ma'am. I think it's so cool that the only way that the disciples, his disciples, can recognize him and know him is until the door is opened up. That's a great, that's a great, yeah, yes. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. You have to see him in Torah first. You can't see him any other way. To know him and understand him. Paul says, Paul, Corinthians chapter 3, I believe, he's talking about the veil of Moses and how there's a veil over our heart regarding Torah that is removed when we come to the reality of Jesus in our life. And then it's the Holy Spirit through that that sets us free and free indeed. And did you even know that's what it says? We, we read about Moses having a veil and then we skip to the part where it says, you know, we're set free in Jesus and we're free indeed. We know that one because we like that part. But it says that Jesus, our coming into Jesus removes the veil over our heart regarding Torah. Paul taught that. So then, what are we doing with all these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people out there that are claiming Jesus that still have a veil over their heart regarding Torah? That's terrifying to me. That's absolutely terrifying to me. I know a lot of these people. I love these people. They're my friends. They're family and friends. I love these people. But they have a veil over their heart regarding this message that Paul says... Jesus removes. It's sobering, isn't it? It's absolutely completely... We should fall on our face right now and thank God that He has the grace and the mercy over us to even open up our minds to this basic revelation of keeping the commandments. Do you know I I pinch myself regarding that? It blows my mind. Because when I look around and I see all these people that don't get this, and, and, and we get it, and He's revealed it to us, it blows my mind. It's not because we're cool or smart or anything. No, it's the grace of God. It's, it's His mercy in our life. Christianity, Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ is a spiritual revelation. Salvation is a spiritual revelation. I believe that. Because I can lay hands on people and heal them and cast out demons and, 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 and tell them stuff I shouldn't know and all this has happened, right? And they still don't believe in Jesus. Why? Because God hasn't done this yet. Ding! He draws men unto Himself. Right? In the same way, we can talk about this till I'm blue in the face. And until God goes ding and opens up their heart to the revelation... It's a spiritual revelation. And I am so thankful that we have eyes to see and ears to hear and not a heart of stone. Thank you, Father, in in the name of your Son for your grace and mercy that we don't have a heart of stone but that we can actually hear your word, read your word, see it, understand, understand it to this extent that 
we're supposed to have our trust and faith in Jesus and keep the commandments. And that's always been what you've told us to do. Jesus models that. The New Testament teaches that. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace and your love for us. And Father, we just we pray that your Holy Spirit would just saturate the lives of our loved ones. And that they would come to a right standing and a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ in their life, Father. Why? Why? So that your name would be made great throughout the earth and famous throughout the earth. So that all the world would know that there's an Elohim in Israel. Thank you.